Good morning, my name is Hewitt, and today's scripture reading is from Psalm 91. I invite you to uh, open your Bibles and read along with me. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that waits uh, at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the word of God. Worried there might not be enough length here. I can't read my notes. All right, praise God. Thank you so much for that scripture reading, and thanks for the setting the tone with that uh, worship, Miguel and team. It's wonderful. Um, good morning, Solano. Wow. Um, it's great to be up here spending some time with you uh, this morning, so welcome to those who are online as well. Um, this morning, we will be continuing um, our series on God in the Raw through the book of Psalms. Um, my name is Brett, so for those who don't know me, and I am humbled and honored to serve, grateful to serve as your new elder. Thanks, Miguel. That's a big help. Um, yeah, so what does that mean? As an elder, um, you know, the primary role is for us is to serve as an under-shepherd um, for, for this church and for you. And really... Um, to set an example, to be an example, um, and a you know a role to uh, to be godly and uh, to honor you through that. I'm here to work hard as well. So, um, God didn't bring us out here, my wife and I, out here just to soak up the sun, but to to serve you and to sacrifice for the kingdom. Um, so, as under shepherd, we. We are intending to ensure that Solano uh, keeps to the core mission of the church. Um, and also for, for me in particular, my heart and passion is for evangelism. Um, 
And I'm, my, my desire is to, to nurture and stoke the flames of evangelism here. So I'm really excited to be a part of the, of the team. Um, as a matter of fact, we are starting a, an evangelism cohort that meets monthly. So if you are even remotely interested in um, joining us, um, it would be, I'd be honored to, to talk with you. So reach out to me or Muliati. Um, yeah, so this morning, um, I'm here really to not, not necessarily to go deep and exegete scripture, at least this time, but to, to testify um, to the grace and the goodness and the power of God through the lens of my own personal experiences. Um, you know, a bit on my qualifications, really the grace of God is why I can stand here. That's, that's the first, second, and third reason. But I've had an enduring love um, of God's word. I've been a believer for over 35 years. Um, since I was a child, I've, I've known God, and I've um, been a part of just in Bible studies through my whole life. I've just had a depth and a curiosity of scripture. I've read through God's word cover to cover many times through my, my journey as a Christian. And just God's word has been a formational and transformational part of my life. Also, I've, um, through pain and suffering in this life as well, um, ministry, ministry can flow. And um, I know something about that as well. I've lived long enough to encounter the, the full gamut of, of uh, human experience. And especially recently, we've been going through some tough times, some challenges as a family. So some of the material here will be derived from, from these personal experiences. Yeah. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, it's a joy to be in the house of the Lord. And we are so privileged and grateful that you gave us the Psalms. You gave us Psalm 91, God, to be our comfort during times of difficulty. And I just pray your Holy Spirit, your presence would fall down on this place, God. May you speak through me. May the words that I speak be yours, God. And I just pray that... Um, you know, the words of my mouth here and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. Thank you, Father. Amen. All right, buckle up. So we're going to get into Psalm 91. As you know, um, this is the fourth, the fourth week. Um, we had Pastor Andrew preaching on 90, Psalm 92 about rest and renewal. Go check that out. And then a couple weeks ago, we had Peter in Psalm 1 on the blueprint for success and how living, as a, you know, living in the path of godliness um, sets you up for success and you become like a tree that flourishes. Um, and then last week, we had Jim's powerful message on um, the power of lament and lamentations, probably where the God in the raw comes from, the, just the rawness of the human emotion expressed in the Psalms. So thanks for that, Jim. So, all right. Um, it's been said that the Bible is a symphony for the soul. Have you heard that? Um, if that's true, I have always considered uh, the Psalms to be you know, the, the beautiful melody of like the clarinets or, the, or the, the harp and lyre. Psalm 91 for me has always been a treasure. Um, and while other psalms bleed inwardly with, you know, with lament and suffering, Psalm 91 
kind of pivots us. It's got a remarkably confident tone um, of assurance, right? And it stands out for us as a powerful display of God's sovereignty over circumstances and his intimate concern uh, for those who love him. So do you have a favorite psalm that you run to um, when life gets rough? We know scripture can just be an amazing, an amazing place of refuge. And then for times when life gets really rough, behold, God gave us Psalm 91 to comfort us. Remember the early, the scary early days of COVID, right? When, yeah, it seemed like life or death was a very real possibility. Um, in those days, I would gather our family on the couch and we would read this psalm nightly. Um, and we trusted that God was uh, hearing those words and putting a hedge of protection around our house. I'm happy to say I never actually got COVID. I'm maybe one of the few. <laughs> Praise God for that. Um, all right. So last week you had a scientist. This week, I'm sorry to say that you're stuck with a, a software engineer. So we're going to look at the blueprint or the structure of Psalm 91 um, as a software programmer, I couldn't help, um, couldn't help myself here, but I, I noticed there was a, a theme that kind of resembles a conditional block. If, <laughs> if, you're, if you're a software programmer, you know what I just said there. But it looks like this. If X is, if X is true, then you get this. Else, you get that. It's one of the most basic rudimentary um, logic structures in programming. So, yeah. And it uh, turns out this psalm has fairly simple logic and maybe not a lot of theology. Um, but there's so much, there's so much to unpack in this psalms. As I was going through this, I began to realize that I can really only scratch the surface of all that this psalm has to offer. So I really had to pick and choose and kind of pare down some of the content to make sure that I didn't blow up my, my budget here, my time budget. All right, so here's the, the, an overview of Psalm 91 from the view of a software programmer. Oh, that's, that's real small. Okay, if you, res, if you reside, refuge, and rest in God, then you will enjoy God's security, satisfaction, and salvation. Else the harms and disasters of life will surely over, overwhelm you. I had to work hard at that alliteration, so you better remember this. <laughs> I actually went back and forth on whether protection, presence, and yeah, anyway, so I landed on this. And I will say I did not use ChatGPT for any of this <laughs> except the title. That clever title, I, yes, okay, I'll just leave it at that, yeah. All right. So, um, the, so the if part of this is re reside, refuge, and rest in God. So these are, the, these are the things that God's looking to us for to do in order to kind of get his provision and his, his security. So he, verse 1 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Right? So here, what we see here are two things that should stun us to wonder, into wonder. First, we see the Hebrew name El Elyon, um, which means uh, most high 
okay? This was um, really the, the word for God that sets him above every, everything else, the most high God. Probably back then in the, in the religion of the of religions back then, there were gods that were high, maybe, maybe the god of the mountain, maybe the god of the moon, or maybe the god of the sun. Well, El Elyon is the, the god most high. Um, and the other part of this is he want, he's asking us to dwell with us. We, we are able to actually dwell, to spend time with this God. But what does it mean to dwell in the house of God? Well, dwelling is a distinct feature of the Judeo-Christian faith, right? It definitely get, get, gives Christians a leg up on any of the faiths, even the monotheistic faith, the idea that we can dwell with God. It turns knowing God from an abstraction to a living daily reality, right? So Psalm 91 was likely written by Moses who knew about tabernacling with God. Tabernacling was a place where people met God and it was part of the spiritual rhythms, the daily or weekly rhythms of life, like going to Trader Joe's. Um, and the tabernacle was in the center of the camp, so it was like putting the focus on God always. So dwelling with God, residing with God, was more than just sitting in a holy place or a holy space. It was about doing life on life with the Most High God. So we see that in Psalms, the theme of dwelling is all over the place. I mean, it's, it's in Scripture all over, but especially in the Psalms. The Psalms are all about the intimate relationship we can have with God. And you can't really know somebody well until you live with them, you spend time with them. And this, I've heard this called common life. So it's one way to deepen relationships with God if it's done in the right way, in a godly way. You get to see the best or the worst of somebody, right? So there were a couple times when my family, um, where, so my family lived with other families when we were in between homes. Ever, ever done that? You can save a lot and get to know somebody. So in the summer of 2010, a family who we barely knew graciously opened their home to us while we were in between homes. We were living in Aurora. We were moving to Naperville. I'm a flatlander from the Midwest, if you didn't know. And um, we, we stayed with them for like a summer. It was actually amazing. There were late night conversations. We had morning prayer together. And even a joint business venture drew out of, came out of that. So it was amazing. We drew closer. We got to know each other. Okay. However, a few years later, a family we knew for many years... They were in between homes, and we hesitantly but graciously accepted their request to live with us for a couple weeks. In this case, things didn't go too well. Um, well, there was one incident where he came home late at night. Well, not one. Actually, this happened a few times, and I think he was intoxicated. He was banging around the kitchen, and we have young children in the house. And I, I decided to sort of lovingly confront the situation Confrontation, it can be risky. Um, things, got, things just got complicated after that, and our friendship never actually recovered. 
even though I tried. Yeah, so living together can be tough, but it can be amazingly rewarding. Reminds me of Psalm 133, where it says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in harmony. Yeah, I see this verse with new meaning now. So I would challenge you this morning, make God your dwelling. Trust him with every moment of your life. Let God be on your mind when you awake and let him be the last thing on your mind uh, before you go to sleep. So Jesus' blood makes it possible that we sinners can do life on life with El Elron, El Elron, the Most High. So, all right. So refuging or taking refuge in God is the next part of this. It's in verse 2, it says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress. So here we can see that God himself can be a place of safety in a world of disasters. In the ancient world, the best place of physical safety during battles was a walled city. Yeah, um, a giant stone structure built on a hill. So, indeed, a well-built pile of rocks could defend against the enemy's weaponry of that day. The people put great trust in their fortresses. Yeah. So I grew up in the Midwest, and in the, med- in the Midwest, of course, you know, we've got large, beautiful homes. And they also have this thing called a basement. And in the basement, there's a huge floor. It's like bigger than the other floors. There's nothing down there but your furnace, and you can do whatever you want with it. And people do amazing, it's a, it's a bunker. It's like a bunker. Then there are the tornadoes, right? Tornadoes can be scary, especially as a child. And yeah, I remember um, the sirens were blaring once and my mom was visibly terrified as well, which doesn't help when you're like six. And we, we, were, we had to run downstairs and hide under the bed while a tornado came through our, our um, subdivision. And my mom actually had us, I remember this, my mom had us trying to pray in tongues as well. That's how, that shows you the intensity of the situation. Um, I, I learned the meaning there, right, of refuge and fortress and how, how powerful that can be. Um, but seeing God himself as our place, as my place of refuge, hmm, that would come a few years later for sure. So do you see God as your highest place of refuge? Um, you know, in today's world, of course, we know there are a lot of options out there and available for you. Um, but if we look to these places instead of God, they become our counterfeit dwellings or our counterfeit fortresses, right? They're not going to hold up against the enemy's weaponry um, or the disasters of life. Yeah. And be careful because where you, where you run to, where you take refuge when times are, are going well is probably going to be where you run to during times of disasters. So if things are going well for you now, great. Check that. Where am I going? Am I running to God? Yeah. Um, maybe you're seeking refuge today in a, in a romantic relationship or 
maybe you're looking for security um, in, in career success, right? A lot of that going on in the Bay Area. Um, and maybe your bank balance is your, your highest place, the thing you really lean on. Um, or maybe it's been alcohol or a big, beautiful, spacious home. Um, but I want to encourage you today, make God your refuge and your rock, the rock of your life. And our hope as well, our hope is that this church could be your refuge or perhaps your small group or a Christian community. It certainly has for us. It has for me, especially in recent weeks. Yeah. All right. Rest in God. We're on the third R here. So you will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The title Almighty here means El Shaddai. I remember that from an old Amy Grant song in like the 80s, if you recall, El Shaddai. This was the name known by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in this case, rest, I see rest as kind of a command, like rest in God. God's asking us, rest. It's what you need to do. In the hot days of the Middle East, ancient Mesopotamia, proper shade, yeah, hugely important. So what a, what a great metaphor here. You've, you've got to get close to someone to relax and rest in their shadow, you know. And that's what intimacy with God looks like, running to him during times of, of crisis. Aren't you delighted that rest is a major theme in Scripture. What a gift. What a gift. What if God's big message to us instead was, I just need you to work a little harder to gain God's favor or to avoid disaster. If you just do a little more, that would crush my soul. So let Jesus, let Jesus be your place of rest. But it won't happen until you humbly come to Jesus and choose him as your sacred place of refuge. You've got to draw near to him. Yeah. All right. So here's the, we, went, we talked about the if, right? Uh, now this is the then part of it. This is the good stuff that we, that God will, God will grant. And the three good, the three things we're going to talk about here are security or protection, satisfaction, and God's salvation. So, God, God offers us, delivers us security, protection from disaster. In verses 3 through 13, we're not going to display that, but if you recall from Hewitt's reading, um, the writer launches into a lengthy list of these ancient-sounding disasters, right? Some of them, some of, some of them seem strange, maybe even demonic in nature, but thankfully, in the, mixed in the middle of this, we see God's protection. So I'll go through a few of these, but I'm not going to camp out too much on these. Fowler's snare, remember that? Like, what is that? Of course, I had to search that one up. Like, what's a fowler? It turns out it was like a bird trap, okay? So apparently, back in those days, there were just traps set, like attacks. I don't know exactly what the nature of it was, but you know, today we see a lot of traps, mostly in the area of like phishing attacks or scams, computer scams and things. So be careful of those. 
Um, flying arrows, hmm, not a concern for us, unless maybe your thing is archery. Um, we, interestingly enough, we see a reference in Ephesians 6.16. It says, hold faith as a shield to quench the flaming arrows of the evil one. So maybe a connection there, right? Um, a flying arrow could be kind of a, maybe a metaphor, maybe a reality about enemy's attack, uh, a demonic attack. Striking your foot on a stone. Remember this? So this is like, a, you know, back then, so a foot injury, a foot injury back then could, you know, could hobble you for a lifetime. In those days, your, your foot was your car, your BART, your bus, and your bike all rolled into one. <laughs> yeah. So what about lions and snakes? Mm, these were real threats to ancient travelers, right? Imagine that. And again, I want to reference Luke 10, 19. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. So again, kind of a demonic thing here in this case. Plagues and pestilences. Well, we know what those are. Don't need to talk too much about those. Um, Wide-scale diseases. Terrors of night. So, night terrors. I was kind of thinking about anxieties and fears and things that just, you know, keep you up at night, you know. Anxiety is the most common mental health condition in the United States today. 40 million people are suffering from that. Yeah. So, it's hard to know the exact intent um, behind each of these. And I, yeah, I don't want to delve into that. The common theme really here is the fear, the real fear of sudden harm or disaster. How about today? Fast forward to today. Any fears going on with disasters or harms today? Absolutely. Um, disasters can be physical, like pandemics or violence. They can also be structural. So I was kind of thinking of like governments so there's this word called polycrisis that's been floating around these days. Like we are in a state of polycrisis that easily could match maybe Psalm 91 here. Governments are confronting a multitude of worldwide disasters today which are demanding solutions beyond the reach of human wisdom. Uh, we have the rise of AI and all that that portends. Climate change, Wars more than ever, refugee crises, human trafficking, hunger, on and on, political division that just seems to be deepening with no way out. So, unfortunately, today's world is not a whole lot better than the ancient world. Fear and harm is still with us. So the big hope offered by Psalm 91 is seeing that God is able to operate above these disasters. And because of his intimate concern for us, he can protect us from these disasters. So amazingly, in Psalm 91, we see that circumstances of everyday life are like clay in God's hands. And I was thinking recently in the news, we've, scientists have proven or shown with empirical evidence that time itself can be dilated, right? When we observe the farthest reaches of the universe, like places we could not go before James Webb, 
we see that things are in slow motion back. We can actually observe it. So Einstein, we sort of knew this, now we've seen it. So I think God, well, God, like playing the accordion, God can actually use time to wield that al along with circumstances to achieve his amazing will um, to protect us. So we refer to this as God's divine providence. You've probably heard this before, right? Somehow God works behind the scenes um, outside of our human experience. As believers, we get to look back at, these, at the outcomes and say, God, thank you. That's an answered prayer. And for those who stubbornly don't want to believe in God, they get to conveniently dismiss all of this as coincidence with their intellect intact. That's how divine providence works. Okay, so God protects us from fear. This psalm, along with 120 other places in Scripture, calls out fear. It says, do not be afraid. You will not, you will not fear. Confidently says that. Hmm, how can we not? You need to have confidence in something or someone's ability to protect, right? I don't know about you, but we should be comforted that, that Scripture takes so much time to call out fear because fear lies at the root of all of our anxieties. I've experienced this personally. So I've got a night terror illustration here and it involves BART. So I'm not easily given to fear, but when we moved here in 2017, I started to get fearful. I was anxious, very much so, about whether I could handle the new responsibilities at working at a big tech company, um, and whether our new lives would just pan out here in the Bay Area. It was a big move, and the fear was tangible. It pretty much took away my, my ability to experience like just joy for like a year, I mean, right? So we, we used to live 40 yards from BART. We came from a peaceful suburb known as Naperville and we landed in a rental, a rental property 40 yards from BART, totally new. And I remember getting woken up, um, I think at 4.30 in the morning when it was dark and our rental property would rattle and to me, so this unique, the unique creaky sound of Bart waking me up Monday morning became connected to my, my job fears. And I've, I would always, you know, say that this is like a trust fall. I would talk to my wife. I'm like, this is a trust fall. I don't know if I can do this. And uh, maybe you ministered to me during that time, if you remember this. But it was like, if, if, I didn't get, if God didn't catch me, we, I, we would splat on the ground, meaning we'd have to call this a failed misadventure and go back to the, to the Midwest. But I, I was back in Wisconsin visiting my family. They still live in near uh, Waukesha. And looking up at the moon once and just saying, God, I, God, I, I, I can't live in this kind of fear. It's like it was just stuck there. And I remember looking up and praying and asking God for rest. Suddenly the anxiety left me. It was like God rooted it out. It was just gone. Um, so I thank God and I praise God for that. When we reside with God, when we refuge with God, when we rest in God's shadow, we can give our fears to God. Amen? Yeah, amen. All right. God's presence for those who call on him. 
Yeah. All right. I will be with him in trouble, right? God's promise is not what we might, what we might think we need, right? God, God says, I will be with him. But what we probably want is, I will resolve all your problems. But what we get instead is just knowing that God is there, that he sees us in our suffering and that he's holding us. At first, this may seem a little disappointing. I get that. Um, Rick Warren, the author of The Purpose Driven Life, you may recall, about 10 years ago, lost his son to suicide. The deepest suffering you could probably imagine. Um, and one of, the, one of the things he, would, he used to say <clears throat> is, can I get a little water? Yeah, thanks. One of the things Rick Warren would say is, the deeper the suffering, the fewer the words you use. The deeper the suffering, the fewer your words. And he called this the ministry of presence. Mm. His ministry has flowed to millions of people um, as a result of this time of disaster and suffering. Um, yeah, it's not always content that people need in their darkest hours. Sometimes it's just being with them, soaking in their presence. When, when, you, when you rub that God's presence into your suffering, healing, healing can come. So sometimes the only thing you can do when you're in trouble is to run to God and just know that he's with you and he cares. Yeah. Um, all right. The next one we have here is satisfaction and long life. Yeah, God's satisfaction. All right. With long life, it says in verse 16, with long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Mm. God not only protects us, but he satisfies those who love him and call on him. To be satisfied in life, we all know, is the one thing that we're all kind of looking for, but few, few of us can actually find it. You know, there's just too much. There's just too much in this messed up, broken world that's working against it. It seems like satisfaction is impossible, happiness peace is impossible to obtain and you know books have been written on this philosophers thinkers of all ages have just tried to nail it down to pin it down like what is it how do you get it yeah and one quote stuck out to me from saint augustine right he was known to be one of the foremost christian thinkers ever like second to saint paul himself and he put his intellect to, uh, to this question, like, what is it? What is it about? What, why is satisfaction so hard to obtain for anyone? And this quote here is um, stuck to me. It says, to worship you, and this is a famous quote, to worship you is the deepest desire of humanity, for you have made us yourself, for yourself, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest and fulfillment in you. So St. Augustine knew that, wait a minute, we were made by God for God. If we try to look for satisfaction in anyone else or anywhere else, 
we will be restless. We're not going to find it. Um, so this was, this was kind of his great epiphany that he, he came up with, and it's, it's amazing. So satisfaction, indeed, has been said to be the byproduct of a life where our loves are fundamentally reordered around God. And God, only God can really give us satisfaction. I believe that. I believe in this broken, messed up world that no matter how hard we try, even if we live life the way the Bible says, God has to come down and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gift you satisfaction because I just don't think the way the world is today and all of the anarchy and chaos and brokenness that it's possible on our own. In, the, in, the, in Ecclesiastes, um, I'm going to read this. It's uh, Ecclesiastes 5. I don't think I have it up there, but... There's a verse in there. I've loved Ecclesiastes. Like, it's my favorite book over the years. When I was young, I used to just chew on this stuff. And there's one verse that that really stuck to me, and it came to mind when I was doing this. It says, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, what what great insight from, from Solomon here. This is a gift from God. Yeah, so he identified the fact that having a lot of stuff doesn't equate. You can't enjoy it. God grants some people, like the Midas touch, they, whatever they touch becomes gold. They're rich, they're wealthy, fine. But ha- the ability to enjoy it, n- nope, that's something totally different. It has to be given. God has to give it to us. And I'm thankful in Psalm 91 that God says, I will satisfy you. I will show you my salvation and give you these good things because he loves us. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. I'm looking at the time here. and just So this, this last section, I want to wrestle with a topic here um, with Psalm 91. So as, as I look deeper into Psalm 91, I began to notice and wrestle with this problem, and my wife and I were kind of talking about this. So... It's not a new problem. It's, it's out there. You can see it in like Proverbs, for example. You can read it. Um, but So how should we understand the unwavering and assured tone of these promises of Psalm 91? Have you noticed that? It's got this resolutely assured tone. It says, No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come. You will not strike your foot against a stone. Surely he will save you. Hmm. Okay, does that square with your lived experience? Disaster and suffering happens to bad people, good people, God's people. We see it, right? It's kind of an uncomfortable truth, and it's one of the known hard edges, as I like to say, the hard edges of reality, um, or the jagged edges of reality that we wrestle with. Um, So, I have a couple of understandings that I think will help us frame Psalm 91. So which one is it? I'll leave that to you. My first view, the first understanding is that the harms and disasters are really a form of punishment, like demonic punishment, angelic forces. And God, indeed, God will protect us from from these, right? It's fairly straightforward. In the middle of this verse, in this chapter, it says, you will only observe the punishment of the wicked. 
So perhaps this statement is speaking to the total context of this chapter. Um, the righteous, we know, will be protected by God because, you know, we're not really subjected to God's wrath and his punishment or demonic forces that are leveling people. So that's one. So also, to add to this, today we live in the church age of grace. But in the Old Testament, that was a time where God's justice was directed directly connected to people's sin and wickedness, right? We see this a lot. Um, when God's justice was breaking out, there would be disaster and death would follow. But on behalf of his children, the Israelites, the believers, God would p- protect them. Okay, that's view one. View two, the second understanding of this, is a little more nuanced. So, the harms and disasters are a consequence of living in a broken world. God protects his children, but it's subject to his purpose and plan. So this view seems a little more consistent. It's easier to digest, to consume in today's um, uncertain world. You know, In this view, we are all subject to the harms and disasters in this chapter, whether it's random, Demonic forces, human error, just brokenness of creation, right? We don't know where they come all the time, where they come from, like where they're rooted in. It could just be random. We live in a fallen world. Bad stuff happens. Arrows flying, scams flourishing, COVID-19 stalks the night. But we serve a God who is able, willing, and often does protect us In the end, there will be triumph, but in the middle, trials, harms, disasters. So remember that car accident last year, perhaps, that you narrowly avoided? Could have been God. Remember that sickness that God brought you through? God probably did that. What about all that fear that you overcame when you called out to God? Yep, God. Remember when your son or daughter almost died in the streets? Well, God sent his angels because you called on him and he's your loving father. We'll never know. We'll never know all the cases of of God's intervention on our behalf. We can only know that God God will only allow the bad things in our life when he chooses and they're for a purpose. That should make us want to pray about everything, right? Because then we get the peace knowing that we did our part. We did everything in our power and we know that God is faithful, always faithful to do his part. Yeah. Um, And I wanted to, I got a little more here, so looking at the time, forgive me. So there's a there's an illustration that I think perfectly underscores this point, that I'm this, the second understanding of Psalm 91. In Chosen Season 3, there's a snippet, of, uh, a video scene there where little James comes to Jesus. I wonder if you could put that up there. Yeah, can you read that? Yeah, so I'm reminded of this scene and it brought me to tears when I read it, of course, every time Jesus pops out at the end, I'm, I'm like welling up with tears. It's, I love it. Um, but little James, for some reason, he, God 
Jesus didn't heal him. Everybody else was healed left and right. They were getting healed. But little James, he still had this limp. He, he came up to God and had some tough questions. And their conversation, although it was poetic narration, scripturally, was right on the mark. It underscores the point of God's greater purpose in suffering. You see, God uses those who experience disaster, suffering, and harm, and yet remain faithful to be his prized witnesses to a watching world. Remember that. Only Christianity offers that real purpose, real purpose in our suffering. So, my wife and I have also been enduring a bit of suffering in, la- in, in the last few weeks. So, we've had to live out this, the Psalms. And indeed, the verses are leaping off the page like never before. Um, we are trusting that God is, is, is using this time of deep difficulty, like existential difficulty in our lives, to shape us to allow us to burn brighter in our testimony and our witness and to use us even more as instruments of his grace in the years to come. Yeah, and one, one last thing is Christianity, with this purpose that we can have in suffering, gives tools, gives us the tools and resources to process, to process our pain and grief like no other faith has. That's amazing. So as I close, I hope and trust that you'll put this psalm into your treasure chest. It's staggering to imagine how much comfort this single psalm has provided over hundreds of generations of God's beleaguered children. And at last, we see that Psalm 91 points us to Christ, our ultimate place of rest, refuge, and protection it reminds me of a very comforting verse of scripture that I, I turn to and I absolutely adore. Jesus himself, I, Jesus identified himself as a place of rest and refuge. I'm not sure if this is in the slide deck, but it's, a, it's Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So let's repent of running to our counterfeit fortresses. It's too, for too long we've settled for fortresses of comfort and ease. Jesus prayed, paid a huge price to be your place of refuge. I encourage you, run to Christ today and make him your refuge. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for being our fortress, our high tower our place of refuge that we can run to when the storms of life wrap around us, God. Only you can provide 
solid ground for us to stand on when the sand's circumstances are shifting. Keep us, Lord, from protect us from sinking into the muck and mire, the harms and disasters of life, God. Watch over this psalm to perform it in our lives, God. We are looking to you. We are looking to you to protect us, offer us satisfaction. Put your satisfaction in each of our lives, God, right now, I pray. Thank you so much for the gift of salvation and for the grace of Jesus. Amen.